Well, thank you so much for your wonderful hospitality. We appreciate it so much. And I say we, but my wife is not here. She's under the weather. She just got a bad cold and fighting some stuff. So she moves from the couch to the bed and back to the bed couch. And so I said, you need to stay home. She says, well, I'll miss you speaking. I said, you've heard me speak for over 40 years. So you know what I can do. You know what I'm going to say. And she's heard me preach many times anyway. So anyway, it's a great to be with you. and I've enjoyed so much coming. If you're going to create a world religion, you have got to answer some of the issues about suffering and pain and trouble. I'm not suggesting that maybe you start that religion, but uh, with tongue-in-cheek, there's a number of uh, ways that various world religions do handle the issue of suffering and pain. Now, are we connected here? Let's see if we go. Oh, yeah. There's Taoism. And Taoism informs us that trouble happens. Well, thank you very much. I think we kind of knew that. So if we move from Taoism to Confucianism, it says Confucius says trouble happens. So it's a reduplication there as we move forward. And then we come to Buddhism. If trouble happens, it's really not trouble. Isn't that a comforting thought? <laughs> There's been a lot of pain, but you know, it's really not trouble. So I'll just keep on moving. So we move from there into Hinduism. This trouble has happened before. <laughs> yeah, it seems like I've gone through this over and over again. And then we move into the world of Islam. In Islam, let's see if we get that. Okay. Why does, no, oh, there it is. If trouble happens, it's the will of Allah. It seems like the will of Allah causes lots of things to happen. Isn't that right? Okay. Then we go to Judaism. Why does trouble happen to us? And it made me reflect on all the things that are happening in Israel. And I said, oh, we just grieve. And, and then we come to Catholicism. And I've had so many ex-Catholics in my churches over the years. I learned everything from Catholicism from these ex-people. They said, if trouble happens, you deserve it. And they said, I'm a good Catholic. I carry my guilt on my sleeve and everything else. Now, what you're wondering is, what about Protestantism? Here it is. Let trouble happen to someone else. <laughs> we really don't want to go through it. We want other people to go through it, but not ourselves. Christianity hap uh, deals with the whole issue of suffering and pain and trouble totally differently. We view it as unfair. You remember as parents and maybe as grandparents, you would often say to your kids, when they say, that's not fair. And what would our reply? Life isn't always fair. And some people go through extreme challenges and others, not so much, very little. And so we find that Christianity is totally different. We find that in Christianity is that, that suffering and pain and trouble is a terrible reality. And that's why I've noticed as you come along, people going through these challenging times. And you surround them with your care and your love. And we find that even though we go through this, it can be meaningful. And Pastor Swindoll has been sharing how God can bring some positive things out of this pain and heartache. Now, God created this world good and perfect. But Genesis 3 happens. They made the wrong decision. And it was catapulted into a troublesome situation. The good news is redemption. 
And so these three words, creation, fall, redemption, kind of encapsulizes Christianity. Meanwhile, how do you handle trouble? How do I handle trouble? How do we go through troublesome times? How do we deal with troubled hearts and minds and challenges? Well, that's where, oops, we get this thing going. My question before you is, are you in trouble? And we're going to be turning to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. And basically out of those two verses, I'm going to be focusing most of all on verse 2. Because I don't know about you, but this is a verse that really, really helps me handle the trouble in my life. Now, when Barnabas was here a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I sat into the class to get a feeling for what your class is all about. He gave a great kind of rundown on the book of Isaiah. He shared with you that Isaiah has 66 chapters, the same number of chapters as the books in the Bible. We find that the first 39 books is about judgment and condemnation and bad things happening and God is threatening them. And we find ultimately they go into exile because they were disobedient to God. And it's a very, very challenging part to go through those those 39 chapters because it seems to be so negative. Israel was idolatrous, morally corrupt, and God says, listen, you've got to listen to my warning. These are things that are going to happen to you. But then as you cross the chasm from chapter 39 into chapter 40 and on to 66, you find it's totally different. In fact, chapter 40, verse 1 says, comfort, oh, comfort my people. It's interesting to note that in the first 39 chapters, comfort's used one times. In the rest of the book, you find it 13 times. And so we find these latter chapters that we're going to be focusing in on is a time of comfort and care and love. God deeply loves his people and by extension, people to you and to me. Now, by this time, Israel is in exile in Babylon. They're going through challenging times, and that period of time is drawing to a close, and God is giving promises of redemption and deliverance and returning them back to the promised land. It's kind of like a second exodus. And so that's going on in a very positive way, and so God is encouraging his people. So we find these words of wisdom, and we find this how to handle pain, suffering, and trouble. And with that in mind, we go to verse 1. He says in verse 1, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, and then this is the actual quote, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I just pause here for a moment. This is what I call God's valentine to the nation of Israel. Did you get a valentine this last week? I got one for my wife. God loves his people. He is the one who created them. And he created you and me. He formed us. He knows what we are like inside. 
and he sees something very, very worthy. And he understands her heart is filled with anxiety and fear and trepidation. And so he warns us again, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And God knows our name. Sometimes we just feel oblivious, don't we? But God knows our name. And we are his. And this is God's love note to a people that are going through troublesome time. And then with that, we move into verse 2. And this is where I want to spend some quality time here because this is going to be our anchor verse. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, in this incredible verse, we find there are two metaphors. Some of you biblical sharpies out there picked it up just like that. The two metaphors that he uses is that of water and fire. I want you to notice, first of all, he talks about the waters. And notice it's plural. It's not singular water. It's waters. I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, again, it's plural. And you put waters and rivers together, guess what you have? Floods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Noah's flood. Yeah. And we find that that is that first thing. Now, keep in mind, they're in Babylon. They're going to head back to the promised land. And I can hear some of the people say, oh, we can't go back because it might rain. And there's some rivers and we might get drowned. It's dangerous for us. Every time I drive across Texas, I see all these bridges and I think, what would life like when you had to go through these rivers? But we have wonderful privilege. But meanwhile, God was going to be there with them through that whole issue. Now, when you put this together, metaphorically, it refers to the totality of human suffering. And many times we feel drowned by trouble. Now, some of you know that I've spent a long time in, in uh, California. In fact, 33 years in California. I don't know if you've been following the news. Maybe you just don't pay attention to it because it's another country over there. Uh, but 37 million people are on flood watch in California. They call it atmospheric rivers. When we lived in California, I never heard that term. We call it the Pineapple Express. So when all of a sudden these waters come, it just comes in big time. 85 mile per hour winds. Our oldest daughter still lives in California. And uh, we were chatting with her the other day and she said, yeah, you remember the trampoline that the boys jump on? It's gone. Oh, that's all kinds of windstorms. 86,000 customers are without electricity because of the windstorms. A hundred flights were canceled in San Francisco alone. The forecast is that Southern California will receive a month full of rain in three days. I said, man, we're glad we're not there. Now, the interesting thing about California is they have all these fires. 
and the fires remove all the vegetation from the hills, and then you get the rain, and guess what happens? You get mudslides. All kinds of strange things happened. Now, my question before you is, are you in trouble? Maybe you're not in California right now, but maybe in Texas. You're feeling like you're in trouble. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we spent 33 years of ministry in California. I tried to turn it around, but I wasn't quite as successful as I maybe envisioned myself to be. Now, what we would do many times when the kids were growing up, I don't know if you can even see that. It's such a tiny map. It's a, but uh, between where we lived in Redwood Valley, California to Portland, is about a nine or a 10 hour drive. My family all lived in the Portland area. So many times over the years we were there, we would drive back and forth to grandparents, aunts and uncles and everything else and we'd come home. And uh, I-5 is kind of the main corridor throughout the West Coast. It goes all the way from Canada to Mexico. So we would just drive this one segment of it and we had many stories to tell on that situation. Now, one time as we were driving back, I think it must have been a, uh, Christmas, New Year's holiday time up there with them. We drove all the way down to the California border. I don't think the windshield wipers ever stopped. It was just torrential rain. So I stopped in Ashland. If you're familiar with Ashland, Oregon, that's where the Shakespearean festivals are and stuff like that. The last place to get gas. It was kind of a midpoint to, it, to the whole trip. And I was pumping gas in Ashland. Someone comes to me and says, by the way, did you know I-5 is closed? And I said, what? It's closed. So I checked out the story, and he was 100% right. It was closed. Here we had four kids, my wife and I, headed down. We once want to get home. We could make it in one day if nothing gets in our way. So we ended up checking in a motel in Ashland, Oregon. The rain kept coming down, and the floods kept coming up. <laughs> so that the sewage system contaminated all the water system. So the word is, don't drink the water. And because of that, all the restaurants were closed. So we went uh, to a grocery store and bought dinner. They had a big, huge pallet of gallon jugs of water, and it was, poof, gone within minutes. I bought my gallon. And I said, kids, this is where we're going to stay the night. It is not where we wanted to be. We were in trouble. Floods, rivers, you name it. Now, as we go back to 43 verse 2, we find the second metaphor, and that is fire. And he says towards the bottom part of that verse, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, my joke is it'd be nice if the waters get coordinated with the fire and the water can put the fire out. I haven't discovered that happening in my life so much. Maybe you haven't either. Now, fire is often metaphorically referred to times of testing and trial and trouble. Maybe you discovered that as well. Let's go through a couple of these verses rather quickly. Psalm 66, for you, O God, tested us. Have you noticed God testing us on occasion? You refined us like silver. 
You let men ride over our heads. Now, we sometimes scratch the back of our heads. What does he mean like this? I think it's a threshing sled that they use to break the grain down and everything else. And, and so apparently, figuratively, is riding over our heads. That's not a good thing. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. There is both of them again, two opposite metaphors. The good news, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Wow. As we continue the journey, we go to, well, okay, here's the picture of what that is all like. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like that fire. You ever get burnt? It's extreme heat. And it does something strange to us. We continue that thought in Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. God is always interested in what's happening in my heart. And he wants to know what's in your heart. And he brings these things up to test our hearts. We jump to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi 3. He will sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Are you seeing a theme? As you trickle through the scriptures, you find this theme keeps bubbling up in our whole process. Now, as we journey from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we find that Peter teaches us about fiery trials and he's preparing God's church for that period of time of persecution. And of course, when you study uh, ancient Roman history, you find there was a time when Christians were accused of burning Rome. And uh, what was Nero's response? Well, let's roll them in pitch and use them as torches. And I don't know exactly what was happening there, but we find there was terrible fire. And then later on in his book, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. You know, our response is, <gasps> what is happening? He just kind of pops the balloon of surprise. As though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange. This is just normal Christian living. Now, as I told you, we went up and down I-5 many times as a family, uh, and we experienced all kinds of interesting issues. We come to Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. This next time that we were on a trip, we was probably in August. I've learned the best time to go to Oregon is usually the month of August. But even then, it gets cold and rainy sometimes. So we had spent, spent a wonderful time with my family, climbed back in the van, and we headed south. Uh, as we were coming down I-5, 100 degrees in the Central Valley. Now, that's nothing to you Texans. But we don't usually enjoy 100 degrees. I thank God repeatedly for air conditioning for the last couple of years we've been here. And uh, 
I've been driving most of the trip, and so I passed the wheel over to Andrea, and she was driving down the central coast. She drives 70 miles an hour. Air conditioning was cranked up to full volume. We were cruising along. We wanted to get home. We were tired of being gone. When Andrea said, you know, Steve, we're getting a little bit low of gas. And so I sat on the passenger side and did my little calculations. And I knew how many miles per gallon I normally got and all that kind of thing. I did all the computation. I had nothing else to do but sit there and ride and look at nothing but California scenery, which is going to blow at that point. And then as we were going along, she said, Steve, we just ran out of gas. 100 degrees outside and no gas. I was in trouble. We were in trouble. I mean, I was the dad. I was calling the shots. What do you do? I don't think any of us here would say, yeah, I've never had any problems like that. We all have. How do you respond to it? And I want to share with you three responses to trouble that we find ourselves in. That's where we find such great truth in Isaiah 43, verse 2. But let me share the first point. Embrace trouble as a normal part of your life journey. We live in a lost, fallen corrupt world. The whole planet groans, Romans 8 tells us. I find myself groaning many times as well. What is going on? Peter tells us, don't be surprised that this is something strange happening to you. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Swindoll shared a, a beautiful story of Joseph and how he landed in the, the cistern, and then he was pulled up and sold, and then he went to jail, all, all prison, all those things. He just kind of walked through the story, and he said, this is one of the most incredible stories of all Scripture. I agree with it 100%. I love preaching through those things. Now, sometimes we go through prisons figuratively. As a pastor, I've had to take a number of my church people to literal jails. Not that often, but I have done it. Most of us here probably haven't been there unless you go to minister. But sometimes we are in these prisons in a hospital room or a wheelchair or a care home or apartment or sometimes the very challenging, troublesome marriage. Sometimes it can be a dysfunctional family or a job or in my role, a troublesome churches. And as an interim pastor, we walk into troublesome churches sometimes. And one of our little things is we walk into burning buildings because the place is ready to blow up. And we try to come in there and heal and restore that. And sometimes heavy, heavy burdens are placed upon us. And what we find is we need to embrace trouble as a normal part of Christian living. We may want to yell and scream, but that's what God has given to us. Now, moving to our key verse, 
It says, when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, and when you walk through the fire, my Bible, our Bible does not say if. It says when. And it says when three different times. And when God says something once, it's important. Three times, we really, really need to pay attention. In other words, it is going to happen to us. That is the challenging part. Now, when he says you will pass through the waters and you will pass through the rivers, it's the idea of movement according to a stationary object. In other words, we're not going to stay in the waters. We're not going to stay in the rivers. We're going to pass through. It's something that God is going to take us through. And then when it comes to the fire, he changes the imagery to that of walking. Walking is a step-by-step -step process. And many times in Scripture, we find that metaphor of walking. Probably the most common one is Psalm 23. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We are walking, we are passing, we are moving through that big process. Now, God walks with us. Will we walk with him? Sometimes we choose not to. And walking with God is that daily relationship with him. Feeding on his word, communicating with him in prayer, Connecting with brothers and sisters in Christ like you have here at the marathon class. Going to worship. Focusing these positive things as you walk through this whole process. You're going to go through torrential rain. You're going to have fiery heat, whether in California or in Texas. Wherever you go. We were headed south after Christmas and New Year's torrential rains all the way to Ashland, Oregon. I-5 was closed. We couldn't go further. We had to stay in the motel room. There was no restaurants open. Uh, we didn't know how long it was going to be. The following morning, we got word. I-5 was open. And I said to our four kids, you guys want to go home? Boosh! I've never seen them pack so fast. And throw everything in, and the way we took off, and we made it through. All the way down in California, we kept looking where the mudslide was. Never could see, find it. But somehow, we had to wait. So sometimes, in this whole process, we just need to understand that we need to embrace that period of time. Now, number two, as we move through responding to trouble, is we need to envision the invisible God who promises to be with you in your journey. Now, do you see any irony in that second point? Envision the invisible God. Boy, you're good. Uh, how can you see someone who is unseeable? Huh. That's where we walk by faith and not by sight. But going back to Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, guess what? I will be with you. God walks with us through the fire, through the floods. Now, 
a little bit later on that bottom part, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Now, you're well-trained, good Bible students. There is an Old Testament classic story, which this literally goes through. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Daniel chapter what? Chapter 3. Okay, I'm just seeing if you stretch your mind there. And when old Nebuchadnezzar had the big statue erected and want everyone to worship and uh, the consequences for not worshiping was thrown into the fiery furnace. And then if that wasn't going to do it, they're going to jack up the heat a little bit more. And they did. And this is a picture of what it might have looked like. When Nebuchadnezzar peered in there, he saw not three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was probably away on assignment, but he saw four men. Now, looking through our New Testament lenses, we sense that is the pre-incarnate form of Jesus. Jesus was with them in the fire, in the flame. And they came out of that flame and fire smelling not like smoke, like a campfire, but smelling like a rose. Interesting enough, Jesus went through the flames of the cross and he went all alone. But he died for you. He died for me. And what we're finding is that we need to envision the invisible God who is present with us in these troubles. Are you in trouble? Interesting enough, I love speaking on uh, Luke chapter 24 at Easter time. I've taught it many times. Uh, the, the latter part of the story tells the incredible view of how Jesus sidles up to these two disciples. And they're walking to their hometown called Emmaus. And Jesus comes up. One's name's Cleopas. We don't have the name of the other. And he says, what are you talking about? And they look at Jesus, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And they look at Jesus as if, you know, did you fall off the turnip truck? I mean, don't you know what's happening in Jerusalem? No, tell me about it. So they begin to recount all the resurrection stories. And then finally, they go in for a late Sunday afternoon snack. And their eyes were open. And as soon as their eyes were open, boom, he's gone. Now, those stories tell us many things, but one truth that helps me grab a hold of this is I think Jesus is training these disciples to walk with him in a new age. Jesus has been living and walking for 30 years. Now he's going to continue walking, but they're not going to be able to see him. And that's where we need to envision the invisible God as we go through our troubles. And sometimes 
that invisibility is rather challenging for us. We're a little bit blind to the facts. And so how do you respond to trouble? Envision the invisible God who promises to be with you in your journey. It was August. We were driving down I-5. 70 miles per hour. Andrew was driving. I did the miscalculations. She said, Steve, the car just ran out of gas. I cursed my calculations. As I looked down the road, I could see an overpass over the interstate. I said, Andrea, stop underneath that overpass. At least we'll have some shade. Because we wouldn't last long without it. As we got closer and closer, and again, the van was going slower and slower and slower, we could see beyond the overpass. It was a rest stop with grass and trees and shade and restrooms and water fountains. I said, Andrea, go as far as you can. And she did. And the van stopped halfway into the rest stop. So I commandeered the kids. Kids, we have got to get out. We've got to push mom into a parking spot unless we get run over by some semi-truck, you know. Oh, dad, do we have to do this? Yes, let's do it now. So they all got out and we pushed the van into a parking spot. A man in the rest stop saw all this being acted out. He comes over to me and says, do you need a lift to the gas station? And I said, is this an angel from the Lord? Is this a good Samaritan? And I said, yeah. He said, I'll give you a ride. He took me nine miles to Williams. I missed it by nine miles of gasoline. Got a gas tank, uh, a gas can, filled it up, drove it back. And, and he said, I'll take you back. And when I offered to pay him, no, 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 I just want to do this for him. The Lord looks out over us, even in our stupidity. And I said, you know, the invisible God was watching over us in our trouble. What trouble are you in? Are you seeing the invisible God with you? And that brings us to point number three. Focus on the result of your life journey, not the process. You see, we tend to get focused on the process. The process is the waters, the rivers, the flood, the flame, the fire. Those are all processes God uses to shape now, the tendency is to get focused in on those things. The hospital stay, the surgeries, the lost job, uh, scarcity of finances, uh, difficult relationships, wayward children. Those are all processes that God uses to shape us. And he says, Steve, I want you to focus on the result. 
perhaps you've heard the classic story that we pastors tell many, many times in a sermon like this, that the young apprentice was working with the silversmith. And he was teaching them, you got to heat up the crucible. And when you do, all these impurities come to the top. And you slough it all off. And the apprentice says, well, how do I know when it's finally purified? And the old silversmith said, when I look down the crucible and I see my reflection in the metal. And God is looking into your heart and my heart, wanting to see his reflection in us. I'm thinking, oh Lord, maybe I need some more trouble because the reflection's not very well. I still got stuff there. I'm still trying to burn it off because Jesus doesn't always come through as clearly as I would like for him to do. Are you in trouble? How do you respond? Brace that trouble, part of life. Envision that invisible God who is there with you. And then focus on the result, not that process. Now, I would like to, uh, I should have made this point, fourth point, just something totally different. Let's go ahead here. There it is. Number four, I want you to share a story of how God helped you pass through trouble. I'm going to step out here and do a risky thing, but I think you'll enjoy it. As I've been telling these stories about I-5 and floods and fire and heat and everything else, some of you are thinking, you know, I remember when the Lord took me through some things. And I find it very enriching to hear people's stories because it fans the flame of faith in my heart. So I'm going to give you an opportunity in these closing minutes, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. What I'm going to do, wait till I give you the actual signal. I want you to share with somebody here that you do not know or do not know well. I sense you guys know most everybody here, but sometimes you may not know some people well. In other words, I don't want you to sit there and tell your wife everything. She already knows it all or vice versa. And I want you to find somebody. What we're going to do is we're going to get up and we're going to mill around. We're going to fill up the whole room, all these spaces. Now, sometimes people are a little bit insecure, you know, in a crowded room like that. You just stay seated and maybe someone will come to you and sit down and, and you listen to their story and then you share yours. And we're going to fan the flame of how God can work in troublesome situations from your life. And then we're going to give you a few minutes. And then, Harry, I'm going to pass the baton to you. And when you sense it's kind of finished, you come up here and close up wherever you feel is appropriate. You, you got me? Okay, so we're going to find somebody you don't know or don't know well. And we're going to mill around and find them. And we're going to share the story. You know, if you don't know them well, share your name. They got your name. I don't have my name tag on. My name is Steve. And we're going to see this. And we're just going to have a great time hearing God stories. Now, sometimes you need a little bit of time to think. So I'm going to give you just a moment here. Okay, let's get this thing going. Pardon? 
That's the last slide? Okay. Well, I was going to ask you if, if you ever sang the song, How Firm a Foundation. The stanza goes like this. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. I think the author, John Keith, spent some time in Isaiah 43, verse 2. Pardon? There it is. Okay, there was that slide. He got hidden. So meanwhile, you got the instructions clear? Okay. What we're doing is when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You share God's stories with another believer here in class. You got that? Okay, good. Let's go ahead for it. Okay. <laughs> well, Steve unleashed the group here, and uh, <laughs> I didn't tell him it was hard to get y'all to stop talking. <laughs> So hopefully you got a blessing out of that like I did. I want to thank everybody for participating in it. Thanks, Steve, for a great lesson this morning and, and for encouraging us to do that. Sharing, you know, what God has done in our lives really strengthens each one of us, I believe. So until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>